Hello and welcome to Hearsay number 22. My guest today is my friend Darren Cross. Uh, Darren is probably best known as the guitarist and singer in Girling and he now does some really beautiful solo stuff as well as being one half of folk noir duo Jep and Depp. I've always been a massive fan of everything Darren does, so I'm really stoked that I could have him on the podcast. I realised after the interview I'd completely forgotten to ask him about what it was like working with Cool Keith, who's one of my favourite artists, Uh, but Darren said in a text afterwards there wasn't that much to tell. I also forgot to ask him about Kylie Minogue, but you know, these questions have probably been asked a million times and it all happened a lifetime ago. In any case, Darren and I had to load up our old brain hard drives enough as it was to go back to the old days of second and girling. Um, it was really fun talking about those times. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. His strange show experience was illustrated by the gorgeous Helena Papagiorgio. You can check out more of her cool drawings and animations on her website, www.helenapapagiorgio.com. I will spell that for you in the podcast description or on Instagram at hp underscore second variety. Enjoy the episode. Hearsay number 22, Darren Cross. Darren, how's it going? Good, say how are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much for being on my hearsay podcast. Yeah, cool. Thanks for asking me. Hey, um, before we start, you just had a slight altercation where your dog went ape shit. Can we talk about your dog for a second? Yeah, we can. Um, my dog's name is Stevie Nicks. <laughs> so cute. Um, she's a Ruby Cavalier King Charles. Oh, how and old is she? She just turned nine, so it was her birthday the oh, other day. Oh, do you celebrate her birthday? Yeah, yeah. Gave her heaps <laughs> of, like, dog treats and stuff like that. But, <laughs> uh, she, yeah, she's definitely, because uh, she, she is over 60, so she acts like an over 60s person now. What do 60-year-olds act like? They're a bit grumpy, aren't they? Yeah, or more like um, can manipulate me by sure. being cute and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. My dog does that and she's only like 28 in dog years. Ooh. Um, so, I mean, maybe we'll we'll go back and talk about Stevie Nicks in a minute. But um, so I guess I try and tell people a little bit about my first memory of the person that I'm interviewing. And I think that my first memory of you, it's a very long, I feel we've known each other a very long time, but we haven't seen each other for a while. Um but I still feel like, you know, like we have we have a connection from when when you meet someone in your early 20s or, or your late teens. I think there's something that happens when, you know, you go on tour together and you spend all this time together. Um, and I feel like that happened instantly between Girling and Seki and our bands at the time. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, that was cool. That was a really cool time. I remember going to Brisbane for the first time, like really pushing it like not sleeping for three days and yeah. <laughs> meeting like you guys and Heinz and, and everyone. Yeah. I remember I kind of um, started uh, hallucinating kind of because I hadn't slept. <laughs> Was that when you played at Rick's? 
Yeah, I think so. And I walked into the that river. Is it the Brisbane River near yeah. the Story Bridge? And like, yeah, yeah, cut all my feet on these oysters oh, no. and stuff. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't actually think I was at that Rick Throw, but my first memory of you was um, probably shortly after that when Seki then started playing with Girling. And and we were at you played that Tibetan Freedom concert that Steve Pav put on in where was that Sydney? Oh yeah, yeah that was cool. And you were still like wearing your backpacks and going ape shit on stage. It was so exciting. Yeah, it was really hot that day. I think we it all had beanies really on. It was a real <laughs> bit weird. <laughs> we were trying to be the Beastie Boys or something. I and I know the Avalanches played that that day as well. Yeah, that's right. When I was still doing the punk rock thing. Yeah, that was so mm. great. I loved that day. And I think we got flown down because that was when Steve Pav was trying to woo us to be on Modular. So we weren't even playing. We just came down to hang. God, those were the days. Weird. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Did you eat the candy? Now. Did you eat the candy that the man was handing out? I think so. Did you? No, I can't remember. <laughs> probably <laughs> you probably I'd do did. anything back then. <laughs> So going back to, uh, you know, when you first started liking music and being interested in, in writing songs, can you pinpoint the time when you you started wanting to write songs? Yeah, I can. Um, I was probably about 12 and um, I wanted to play the drums, to be honest, and uh, my mum said, no, you can't play the drums you can have a bird yeah so they what? gave me a bird <laughs> and I was like mm, I don't not want not quite the same yeah a bird in a cage what's the metaphor here trying to prepare me for the real life but um and then I was like oh come on mom I want to play the guitar and she's like okay and um she yeah she um bought me a nylon string guitar and I went to, there was a bloke who t- taught the guitar and he's, he, he had an nylon string guitar and he, he played like ACDC, Back in Black, Highway to Hell, Happy Birthday and the Kinks or something. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, I, I went to him for a while. Um, and what did you learn? Did you learn Happy Birthday and the Kinks? Yeah, more, yeah, more ACDC. I was, oh, cool. I was into that, and then it, then I got an electric guitar off. Um, like I, I used to buy um, real pov guitars and then do them up and then get a better one because I didn't really have any money. I was so young, and then I, I got this really cool kind of guitar, and then I just um, learnt blues, and then I just went crazy about blues. And there was this radio station when I was growing up, and. Every Monday they would just play like old school, um, like really cool blues music, like um, you know Lead Belly and oh yeah and stuff. I don't even know what it was called, and lots of like kind of like that Eric Clapton blues thing, and you just put it on yeah. and jam along to it. But I got yeah really heavily into playing the guitar, and that's mm, awesome. Yeah, where did you grow up? In a place called Greystains, which is. Kind of in between Blacktown and Borkham Hills, kind of suburban. And so when you started playing guitar and you got obsessed with blues, is that when, did you start writing your own songs at that point as well? No, not really. No, I was just more interested in just just trying to learn how to play it, really. 
it, uh, I, and then I went through, you know, just playing all cliched crap for a while, and 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 then I heard um, Sonic Youth. Ah. Mm. Um. And my, do your little mind exploded? Totally. It was like, what? You don't have to fucking do that. You can do this. <laughs> yeah. And then I just kept. The more that I dug deeper, the more I kept finding stuff. And that was when all the good good, good guitar bands were coming around. Um, you know, like, well, it was probably a bit before that, actually, to be honest. Because, um, yeah, the grunge thing kind of happened and then all the really clever guitar bands, you know, like Truman's Water, Polvo, Pavement, the first Mercury Rev album. Yeah. All that kind of stuff was happening after grunge and it was like, fuck, this is awesome. Yeah, so it was that, like, 90, early 90s. Early 90s, yeah, probably about 94, 95 and... You know, all the Britpop, um, like, shoegaze stuff was hanging around as well. And yeah, yeah. And it was, that was it, such a good time. I know. It was just... And Waterfront as well, like, that's where... That's how I... That's how um we... A girling first got signed to Felling through Waterfront. There's Steve Stavrakis, Frank Cotterill and Adam Yee. They're all working there. And yeah, me and Press would go right. in there and say, oh, have you got the new Pavement album? And then, like, Steve Stav would go... <laughs> Hey, have you, you know, you should listen to this or Frank Cotter will go, hey, check out Nick Drake. And I was like, took Nick Drake home and went, fuck, what is this? You know, <laughs> so. That's so great. Yeah, just when you're that age and you're just finding out about cool music that's not on fucking Spotify as it is now. Um, yeah. You know, I think it was, I don't know, sound like an old fart, but it sounds a bit more <laughs> magical back then. I agree. I remember like. When albums came out, you know, I remember specifically when Wowie Zowie by Pavement came out and I like, I was so excited to get it home and listen to it. And I, you know, you'd listen to it for a week with nothing else. You'd just be obsessed with it and, you know, learn all the words and everything. And it's just so different now. Yeah, it was, I guess it was harder back then to get stuff. You know, I even remember before the internet and you'd had fanzines, you know, and I'd listen to cool radio programs like Aaron from Spunk used to do one of the best up here in Sydney. Um, he had a night, I think it was on Wednesday on 2CR, and he would play all this stuff, you know, that would be like fucking awesome. Like the whole program would be like, oh, yeah, and if you like Truman's Water, check out Roller Skate Skinny and, you know, the Boo Radleys and here's the new pavement B-side and here's oh, Mercury so Revs. And it was like, whoa, and, you know, you'd tape it and... <laughs> Write it yeah. all down and then go to the record store because there was no internet back then. And That's right. Yeah, and then buy the album and then listen to it and, you know, be like, oh, wow, this is cool. Now it's like you're just like, it's, I don't know, it's like eating a chocolate bar and just throwing a wrapper in the, in the <laughs> toilet. No one cares anymore. <laughs> Not that you should be eating chocolate near the toilet, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's confusing, isn't it, sometimes? It is. Um, yeah, I remember... Uh, yeah, writing down stuff, listening to stuff on the radio and having my like tape deck on like record and pause so I could just take the pause off when a song that I liked was on and like taping um, when Triple J, I knew they were going to have like a Beck interview on after Mellow Gold came out. I would like sit there and wait for it to be broadcast so I could tape it and listen to it over and over. Yeah, totally. Um, that that was I because I'm... I'm doing this stuff on Double J at the moment. Um, yeah, that's Artists right. in Resident. But they also wanted me to put together – it's really funny because now I do really 
ethereal and dark folk music. So, of course, they wanted me to do an acid house mix. <laughs> what? I don't even know what acid house is. Well, acid house was kind of like from about 88 to 92. Um, the, it, the, it was British kind of music and it was kind of um, using 303s and, and that is the bass lines to house music. Um, right. But there were some big house songs, you know, like um, the theme from S Express. And, um, oh, yeah. Even, you know, Black Box, Right on Time and a lot of the um, Happy Mondays um, remixes and like all that kind of stuff was all happening. And because I was like, I put this mix together today and and I remember where I first, I was like, how the fuck did I hear this music when I was like in year nine, like when I was, you know, because there was no way I lived in the western suburbs and there was no cool dudes around me at all. And I remember, like, I remember how I heard about all my... I used to tape Rage. Remember you could tape Rage and, like, you could have a five-hour VCR. Yeah. Yeah. And you just watch it and you'd be like, oh, fuck, Nick Cave, what's this? Swerve Driver, what's this? Lubricated Goat, what's this? That's right, in the raw. Yeah, and (laughs) you'd be, like, freaking out. But I remember there was also, like, video hits on Channel 10 and I would record that as well because I was not, like, an indie snob by that stage. And all this shit I figured it out today would have been around that time. And oh, so whoever right. was running video hits was a total, like, e-munch and raver and they're playing <laughs> all this fucking awesome dance music as well. Yeah, right. Because there's no other explanation how I would have heard. That, yeah. You know, and I, I do remember, like, having KLF watching that when I was a kid, like that um, Doctor and the TARDIS, you know. And KLF were in the charts at that point, weren't they? Oh, yeah, they probably were, yeah. That's right. That song was huge, wasn't it? Yeah. You forget that they were mass, like they burnt a million pounds or whatever. They were huge. <laughs> yeah, man, that's cool. So, okay, so you were like living in the suburbs. You had bought an electric guitar. Um, what? When did you start writing your own songs? Was that when you heard Sonic Youth and guitar bands or...? Yeah, was it later? kind of about that time. I mean, um, when I first started girling, it was um, it. Was, I, f- I first started with a guy called Brad Bradley Hurdson, um, and me and him started girling, and then we found Presser, and then. So was that your first band? Yeah, me and me and Brad. That was our school band. I mean, me and Brad was really weird. Like Brad was a Kiwi guy, and he just wore like. Cure shirts and had like plaits in his hair and he <laughs> he didn't give a fuck and um he was like two years younger than me and we just really we just really hit it off I mean we were really just like crazy like rebels didn't really fit in or sounds cliche now but it was kind of true I yeah. mean there was accusations that we were homosexuals together um, because oh, we God. were so weird and, you know, we weren't... God forbid. Yeah, but we weren't, <laughs> so shock horror, I'm not that cool. Because, um, yeah, but his mum was really cool. Um, she was like this tripped-out hippie and she would, like, tell us all this crap about astral travelling and me, me and Brad were, like, we were doing really, like, um, really noisy, like, Sonic Youth, dirty but more... Um, not structured, like just this big wall of sound. And we both bought these really big amps and she would just sit there and, you know, drink instant coffee and go, yeah, that sounds cool. And it was like totally uh, miles away from where my home was. 
So there was yeah. this kind of safe haven. There was, you know, typical dysfunctional family and all that kind of fucking crap. So, but at Brad's house, it wasn't like, and that's, and his dad owned this concrete factory, so we could go and rehearse then. And we'd just go there all weekend. It was in the middle of nowhere. And then we we got in contact with Presser. And, and yeah, then it all, like, Presser was into really crazy music. Um, How did you know, did Presser go to school with you as well? No, we met through Brad's girlfriend, who was an exchange student from Minnesota. And then oh. we met Presser for that. And Presser was in this other band, like, because we, me and Brad showed up, there was some party, and we played Girling Without Drums. And then Presser was like, I want to join your band. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. He's like, oh, i got to play in this other band. They're really shit. And then they, they played, like, Ugly Kid Joe and all that. And then <laughs> by the time he'd walked out of the lounge room, we are like, yes, Presser. And then, so, yeah, that was it. That was Girling. That's when we started Wow. Yeah. And that was like 93 or something? Uh, with Presser? Nah, probably earlier. Like we're in high school. I think I started in about 90 or 91 with Brad. And then... Wow. Yeah. And then, so so you started playing shows just around Sydney? Uh, yeah, kind of like more. There's a community centre where we grew up um, and we played there and... It's funny because every other band was just trying to sound like Nirvana, you know, and there was yeah. all these little Kurts walk, <laughs> walking about, <laughs> like every single picture, like there was a different Kurt. <laughs> it was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that, I know that picture. I know that picture. That, he's got purple hair, he's got blonde hair, he's got black hair. It was, <laughs> it was fucking crazy. But, yeah, so we were like, oh, no, we were just, yeah, like I said, like really, really noisy guitar, weird tunings and crap like that and... And then we try to get gigs and all that. Like there's a couple of places like, you know, you suck or some people really liked it. And what was it what was it like trying to get gigs back then? Oh, we were just like playing crap gigs. So, I mean, we were just, because we'd get the street press and they would have phone numbers, you know, didn't have internet or anything. And you'd bring them up and say, oh, hey, man. And they'd like, you want to play on a Wednesday? Cool. You know, and then you'd go there and if they liked you, they'd go, do you want to play next Wednesday? And you'd be like, yeah, they'd go, fuck yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, wow. it was great. Yeah, I, rem- I definitely remember that. Street press, phone numbers. And on every year they did like in, um, I think it was in Rave in the street press up here, they'd had like a A to Z of bands and with contact details. And, <laughs> and then wow. you could like... And then you could, like, call them up and say, like, hey, I like your band. Can, do you want to do a gig? <laughs> this is a really primitive, long time ago. Primitive times. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with girling then, did you um, – when did the five-string guitar thing happen? Did that happen later on or, or were you always, like, a trying to, trying to be different? I'll only have five strings on my guitar. No, I don't think it was trying to be different. I think it just was that way. Like we probably didn't have any money and we just, I don't know, I I used to play the guitar with the hammer as well, but not in a stupid way, like try to um do open tunings and try to make it like a chime or a bell kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And that was just how me and Brad wrote songs because, you know, before the drums, there was no bass or anything. We'd, we'd just do, like we'd been jamming for about a year and with different tunings and stuff. So, um, no, it, w- it wasn't like trying to be different or something. That's just kind of how it was. 
I didn't realize that Girling was your first band. That's awesome. So oh, you, first, you started that really young. Yeah, first proper band. I mean, I just I, we tried to jam with these like kind of guys who sold drugs at high school, but it never just 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 talk, 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 and then you get there, and the drummer was like, "Yeah, Nirvana," and then he couldn't play the drums, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> There's some guy playing like you know, fucking Joe Satriani leads over the top of me, and I'm just standing there going. Oh. Mm. I don't so, want to be Nirvana. But yeah, the, <laughs> I know. I think we do want to be Nirvana, but I don't think the drummer wanted to be Nirvana. He wanted to be like yeah, right. Greg Bissonette or, or <laughs> David Lee Roth. I don't know. It was just like fuck. But Girling was the first band. Like it was my me and Brad, and we were like, oh yeah, we're expressing something. This is cool, you know. Yeah. Mm. So how long were you, Brad and Presser, a band? Um. Probably about four years or And was that what, did you get signed to Fellaheen as that three-piece? Yeah, yeah. That was, we put out our first EP uh, and, yeah, Brad kind of left. It was, yeah, it was really, he left at a pivotal time. It was kind of like, I can't do this anymore, like, as if we were massive, like, we were fucking Scorpions or Def Leppard or something. (laughs) But it was a bit emotional, but it it was weird because the Beastie Boys... We were meant to play our first big day out. We were meant to play and then the Beastie Boys were going to come and watch us. And because oh. Grand Royal was affiliated with Fellaheen, there was all this That's talk. Right. And we're like, oh, yeah, fuck. This is it. And Brad's like, no, nah, I quit. See you. And like big day oh, out's in four no. days. Shit. So that's and then Ben Lee's like, "Hey, I'll do it." So you come over to our house, <laughs> and then we played this gig, and it was fucking terrible, and we didn't get signed to Grand Royal. But, oh. um, yeah, that that was did it. They, did, you, did you see the Beastie Boys in the audience? I think I did. Did they watch you? Yeah. Oh, mate. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty exciting. Crushed. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's Fuck. brutal. Yeah. So were you, you were mates with Ben Lee and he was like, I'll help you out? Yeah, because Ben was on Fellaheen at that stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and was, that, was he already friends with the Beastie Boys at that yeah, point? Yeah, he was already, yeah. he'd already blown up. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I can't imagine Ben playing your girling tracks. He definitely had the energy. I, I mean, I can't remember that, like, to give him credit, like, we... You only had a few days. Yeah, and me and Brad had developed this thing for years, you know, there was something... Um, yeah, you had a you had a relationship in the music. Yeah, that's so, really hard to replicate instantly. Yeah, you can't just no matter who it is. So yeah, then uh, so yeah, then we were just like, uh, what are we gonna do? And then me and Press were like, yeah, we'll keep going. And so we, um, <laughs> it was funny. We put something in the old street press, and all these freaks come out of the woodwork, and it was like, oh fuck, this is we don't know what we're gonna do. And <laughs> was I, it like an ad for a guitarist? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember what the, what your references were? Nah. The only thing I remember is this guy just coming and playing an Eric's Trip song over and over again. And I was <laughs> like, oh, fuck, I don't know why. I don't know. It was just... Um, and then, anyway, so then um, Burke, who... Because Burke worked as an intern at Fellaheen. No, not Fellaheen, at Waterfront Records. And he was working for Pav as well, Steve Pavlovic. I don't know what he was doing. Yeah, right. But he also, he lived in a really nice area um, and I used to have a r- real crappy chef's job. I worked at this, like, um, school, boys' school, and I was I worked in the kitchen. And so when I'd go to work, I would see Burke on the bus and he'd be, like, 
you know, go in the city to be a cool guy. And um, <laughs> and he'd heard that um, Brad had left and he'd, he'd Burke had loved girling and he's, I'm like, yeah, well, let's try it out. And, you know, Burke was 16, I think. Um, wow. Yeah, and just was, you know, just different. Canadian guy, heaps of energy, was just, yeah. you know, and we're like, yeah, fuck it. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> You're in. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so, and then, yeah, girling changed into something completely different. And did Burke bring in, like, the electronic elements or was that sort of happening before that? Yeah, I I definitely, I wouldn't say that he was, like, the guy who brought it in because it was all happening at that time, you know, like, yeah. we're all getting turned on to that music um, and trying to figure out how to do it. I would say that Burke was better at learning, like, and figuring out what the hell was going on. Like, he was like, okay, guys... I've set up a Hotmail account. So this is a Hotmail <laughs> account. This is an email. Me and Press are like, what? <laughs> fucking email? What are you fucking talking about? He's like, no, no, we, this, you know, and so he's like, okay, no, this is a computer. This is how you turn it on, you know. And we're like, oh, yeah, cool. Thanks, Burke. So he was always, Burke was always the leading um, <laughs> uh, tech guy. Tech guy, tech yeah. Guy, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I remember when Seki then set up a Hotmail, we were like, whoa, we got an email address. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch the offers roll in now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck the street press. I'm not calling anyone. Yeah. I remember hearing this story um, Steve Pav told us. So for those who who don't know, Steve Pavlovic was – he was like the tour promoter, first guy to bring Nirvana to Australia and, and he owned, uh, well, he ran Modular for years. He started Modular. And did he start Fellaheen? Yeah, with, with Steve Stav, yeah. And then they, with Steve Stav, yeah. yeah. Um, Steve Stav Rakus. Steve Stav and Steve Pav. Yeah. Um, I remember Pav telling me that back in the day uh, you came up to him this like, really confident little dude and and you were like this is the best thing that you'll ever hear and you gave him a demo and then he signed you and I just remember thinking that's like the fucking coolest story I'd ever heard in my life <laughs> like someone going this is the best thing you'll ever hear and then just walking off yeah I fucking totally believed it <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I remember I distinctly remember giving him the tape and um, and it was kind of ballsy for me because I knew who he was, you know, like, and I just went fucking boom, just walked straight up to him <laughs> and gave him this tape. And um, we, me and Presser had done the artwork, it was all these crazy collages. And yeah. um, and I remember I I went away, like I'd met some girl and went to Newcastle, just left for a couple of days on these don't sleep for a while kind of vibe I was doing. Yeah. And I got home and there was this scrawled message like on an envelope and it was stuck to my, because I was still living at home then, and it was like Steve Pave called, like P-A-V-E, wants to know if you play with dinosaur something. <laughs> and I was like, mm, thanks, sis. Um, and it had Amazing. his number. So I called him back. He's like, hey, man, do you want to play with Dinosaur Junior? I'm like, Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, then, then that was kind of it from then. Um, then wow. We, yeah, it, girling was in the music industry 
Was that your first big support? Yeah. Did you love Dinosaur Jr. at the time? Yeah. Did you shit yourself? Yeah, more after I kind of had a bit of a ment- meltdown. Kind oh, of really? Mm, yeah, it was real bad. Like, I think I drank, like, I was trying to... I was trying to impress them and I drank, like, heaps of alcohol. Like, uh, you know when you're young and, like, you you don't know what it is? Yeah. And it just it kind of had a meltdown. But, yeah, it was... Oh, no. <laughs> In Mayhem. front of them? No, no, like, through Mayhem, down two flights of oh. stairs. <laughs> Jesus. So angry. <laughs> <laughs> angry Those at were the, the days. world. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah. You know, when you're a teenager, <laughs> things are different, I guess. But, yeah, sure. that was a big deal for us. And then do you remember, so did things start picking up and you you were starting to get more supports at that point? Yeah, we yeah, we're getting, like, some cool supports. Um, I don't think it was, like, picking up, um, like, heaps or whatever. But I remember when Triple J, Jane Gazzo, played one of our songs off the first EP and that was like, wow, this is amazing, you know. Triple J is such a force... Oh, Back yeah, then. they totally were. But it wasn't, that was on the first EP, but she just played us like it on, on like on a Sunday or something. Yeah. Um, I remember I was working in a crappy kitchen, like cooking shit in the deep fryer, and that came on the on the radio, and I was like, wow, this is amazing, you know, it's so cool. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it wasn't until the first uh, album that we'd put out, and then Triple J really went, yeah, okay. Death to the Apple Girls, boom, there it is. And a gay, uh, a guy, sorry, not a gay, a guy called Damien um, Watkins made that f- uh, Death to the Apple Girls clip. Um, yeah, for, ab- for clip. absolutely no money, and they used film, and he really, and I think he he got it on MTV and stuff like that. Like he really was um, really really generous to us in the beginning to do that clip. Yeah, um, you know, so yeah, that was cool, and and then. Yeah, and then when Triple J started playing it, people started coming to shows. It was like, oh, righto, this is awesome, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember when you – when did you start thinking about, like, doing the uniform, like the white shirts, backpacks kind of vibe? Was Um, that around that time the album came out or before that? Yeah. Can't remember, really. What when, was the backpacks about? Well, Burke used to come from school and he used to have this school uniform <laughs> on. And me and Press were like, fuck, That's he looks so like cute. like a Mormon or something. And then we're like, ah, yeah, let's dress like that. Like Because we started, <laughs> I started wearing the backpack on stage and I was like, oh, what, weird guy. And then Burke's like, yeah, fuck it, I'll do it. And then I was like, well, let's, you know, because we're really into craft work and Devo and all that. And it, I think it would have been me or Presser. Or I can't really remember, but we were all like, yep, that's it. That's it. That's what so we're going to do. I love seeing a band in uniform. It's just so powerful when when everyone looks the same. It's cool. Like, I mean, I kind of, we, Jep and Depp do it now even, which is quite strange. Yeah. We just wear the whole, Jep and Depp, for people who don't know, is my new thing that I'm doing. Um, we've, it's a, like a folk noir kind of act. Um, yeah, but, we'll yeah, d- definitely talk more about that. Yeah, we so we just wear black and white. Um, yeah, but it at the time like you, I'm, it's heaps easier as well. Like, um, you know, with all that kind of rock posturing and fucking image and all that, we we're just like, nah, we're just gonna wear this, 
and it was it was it was heaps cool like we could just concentrate on the music yeah you know? it's really lazy as well because you know a white shirt and backpack it's pretty easy it's not like you don't have to you know <laughs> get your bloody vintage denim jacket and all yeah. this shit like that <laughs> it's not expensive at least yeah it's good I, I mean it's it 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 changed things I think yeah people totally. thought it was gimmicky but I mean I think on a more of a intelligent level we were actually trying to debase the whole image thing which it's not a, a, an entirely original idea but we kind of did it. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I just always loved, I think it's, yeah, also growing up listening to Kraftwerk and Devo and stuff, that was all pretty, I mean, Devo went a bit out there and with their like hazmat suits and stuff, but but Kraftwerk was always really simple, you know, like black shirts, red ties or, or the other way around. Um, and it was always just really powerful, even though that could possibly have been like a, yeah, like a stand against... Uh, what was happening at the time in their scenes. Yeah, definitely. Well, for Devo, they would have been wearing like crazy fucking shoulder pads and shit and they were like, let's just fuck shit up and wear ridiculous like knee-high socks with tiny shorts. <laughs> yeah. And Kraftwerk yeah. were like, fuck glam metal and, you know, Led Zeppelin yeah. and all this Viking shit. We just kind of look yeah. like scientists. <laughs> yeah, Oh, I'd always like, really love that stuff. And I think I, yeah, I think I had the same feeling with girling. And yeah. you would have sold heaps of backpacks. Yeah, we, we did. It was, I won't deny that, especially at the big day out <laughs> before school, you know, everyone had. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it just looked cool and, and, yeah, it was just something weird. I d- did remember we were trying to look like Mormons or yeah, something like that. students. Jehovah's Witness or whatever, you know, that kind of. <laughs> You know, in that kind of yeah. vibe. <laughs> I actually remember seeing you guys play once and you'd just stolen some life vests from the aeroplane. Oh, uh, yeah, that was our signature move for a while. To be honest, to give the credit where credit's due that no one seems to do in girling, but I will anyway. Um, <laughs> Burke used to steal them. He used to oh, steal Oh, really? Yeah, it was him. Did he steal three all the time? No, no, he would just steal one, I think, but separate... <gasps> Um, right. There might have been two once, but yeah, that was him. So, like, <laughs> imagine trying to do that now. You probably go to, probably, you know, jail. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, he used to do that. Uh, and then, and then, like on the first like big drop of the set or whatever, you used to like inflate them, and it was so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty weird. Pretty low-fi. You know, pretty low budget. <laughs> Let's steal shit and then, yeah, okay. Mm. Just, just putting someone else's life in danger, no big deal. <laughs> and I was from Anset as well, remember that? Anset. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they weren't broke anyway. doesn't matter. So let's go forward. So I guess, you know, girling had a – I feel like I could talk about girling all night, but to try and, um, you know, not make you um, – try and think that far back for too much longer so girling had like a super punk attitude um and now you're playing well you went from playing in girling to doing like dance music because i remember seeing you a bunch afterwards and you were just touring with a laptop mm. and you're doing um the elf stuff um and then and now you're doing like this you know super beautiful acoustic guitar folk stuff um 
how do you feel like do you feel like you you've sort of started growing up while you've developed or do you feel like you're just trying out different things and seeing seeing where your passions lie as you try it uh no i can kind of re- like after the elf thing i went on tour with that guy muscles you know him yeah yeah he was great yeah, I didn't particularly like him too much. Oh. And he made so much fucking money on this tour. Like, I was really pov at this stage. Um, so he was just touring. He was like an electronic guy who would just tour with a keyboard and backing track, right? With a PC through Winamp. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And he made so much money. And I, I got home and I was just, oh, I don't know, dance music. I don't understand it anymore. So I was like, fuck it. I just want to play the guitar and I want to be able to play folk finger-picking songs because I couldn't play that style. Um, yeah. And I, I just want to do that and play anywhere. That's it. Be a troubadour. That's, I don't care. Like I wasn't trying to be right. cool or anything and it probably went back to the whole blues mentality as well. Yeah. So I was just like, hmm, bought a guitar and I was like, I don't know how to do finger-picking. I don't know how to do any of these patterns. So I just taught myself um, and that kind of, that was about the time that I met Jess. and um, So Jess is your girlfriend and who plays in Jep and Dep with you currently? Yeah. So yeah. Um, Beautiful, beautiful voice. Yeah, thank you, she does. Um, <laughs> do I say thank you? No, I don't know. Anyway, she does. <laughs> Weird. It's a great band. You can say thank you to that. <laughs> yeah, so at the same time we met and... Um, she hadn't sung before and so I was playing these songs in the corner on the guitar and then she was like oh yeah let's try to make up a song so um, we made up a song and it kind of sounded like Kimya Dawson and Adam Green oh yeah like um, you know uh, some kind of like anti-marriage song (laughs) it was you know but and then Jep and Depp started when um, I was trying to do the Darren Cross um uh, that style of music as well. So then, yeah, it was just really organic. I know that's crap word to use, but it was really natural because we yeah. developed the Jep and Dep thing because Jess hadn't sung before. And um, and then later on I taught her the guitar and now she can play the guitar. And um, that's so that's, awesome. yeah, that's where we are now. Like we just released our second album and I just released my first solo album and... Um, the punk attitude hasn't changed. I mean, I run my own label and still do every single thing, publicity, management, recording, producing, making fucking vinyl boxes um, to <laughs> send the vinyl to people in Finland and Italy and America and, and, you know, Manchester and stuff like that. But so the whole, the punk attitude's still still there, um, but it just moves into different forms, I guess. Yeah. Do you choose to do everything yourself? Uh, recording and produce, producing and songwriting and making film and clips and doing the artwork, doing the, all, all the artistic part of Jep and Dep, yes. Um, I don't know, yeah, I, the music game's a bit odd. Um, yeah. And we don't really fit into any of these, um, you know. I think th- the thing about Jep and Dep fans is they don't really, um, they don't really listen to the radio and they don't really read street press but they have they love good music but they just it's hard to find where they are you know yeah yeah and Jeb and Depp fans will buy a vinyl or they'll buy a cd like they're cd buyers as well and, yeah 
Um, so it's hard for us to find those people. So um, I, I'm not sure. We, I, I don't know. No one's approached us. Um, but, yeah, we know how to, you know, try to find those people. That's what the trip is for us. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and just, you've got experience. You've done all this a really long time. Yeah, but it, uh, everything changes, say, you know, like every, all the music industry is completely different now than it was four years ago, you know. It's, That's true. you just got to always be willing to, you know, find how you can work in the current situation. Um, yeah. So that's kind of a bit draining sometimes. It's never the music with us that's the problem. It's just like, oh, okay, now what do we do to find these people who might like us, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. How do you go with social media? Oh, I'm a king at it. I spend a lot of time doing <laughs> it, um, you know, trying to work out algorithms that people can see your Facebook posts by not tagging things and using different words, and it works. Um, so, so, yeah. What do you do? You try and use different words and tags. In Facebook posts, like you wouldn't put the new album, you put new but spell neu like German and then spell oh. album with the wrong letter and don't tag anything and then more people see your post. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they try, yeah, it's algorithms and they try to make you, um, if they know it's a product. Anyway, it, I won't talk about that. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's very time consuming. It's very time consuming. They are, I'm still crazy in case... <laughs> Anyone? Now the fucking dog next door is barking. Oh, no. Um, okay, so you try and keep up with the latest way of, of promoting things and reaching your fans. I find that stuff incredibly exhausting. Yeah, it is exhausting. Yeah, it is totally time-consuming. Yeah. And even, like, the music industry, even that has changed. Like, the amount of um, heavy surveillance and um, intrusive things... I mean, if you take it even back, do you remember Friendster? Yes. Yeah. So if you think of the development from Friendster to now, yeah, it's just like crazy. Like we'll talk about my dog again. She just turned nine. And um, I remember there was no even iPhones back then. So in That's the space right. of her short life, things have become so intensely focused around this surveillance, entertainment, whatever the hell it is. Um, yeah. That... Yeah, it's – but then again, you just use it for what you can, you know. It, 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 yeah, everything t- is a struggle <laughs> in my boat. So, yeah, this is a struggle boat, so I'm used to it. <laughs> um, well, let's try and lift the mood by um, – I want to ask you, do you remember the first time you heard Jess sing? Properly sing, watch – what, where she is now? Yeah, just the first time you were like, oh, my God. Because she does have an extraordinarily beautiful voice. Yeah, I know. She does. And it's really developed. Um, That's the thing. Um, at, I mean, at first um, I was just helping her with phrasing and something like that, you know. I was like, oh, no, yeah. maybe this or whatever. And it wasn't until the first album, like the first EP, we were still trying to find ourselves and... The first album was kind of like, oh, yeah, right, this is cool. But I, I don't, like, the new album is the one. It's like now she knows what she's doing and and now we, you know, oh, we both know what we're doing. We found the sound It's and it's um, especially the gig we played the album launch last week and yeah. it was just next level. Um, And it's good. It's a development. Like, that's the thing. Like, Jep and Dipper always moving and changing and, and writing and... Um, 
but yeah, I think uh, no, I can't really remember because I mean we rehearse and we write songs all the time. Like we don't have a telly or anything, so we just. I know it sounds stupid, but we just write music. No, that and, sounds wonderful. And that's what we do. So, but I can remember the last time I heard her, and it was fucking great. And that was oh. at the the album launch. How did that make you feel? Good. <laughs> That's such a boy answer. No, it was good. Like we worked really hard. We rehearsed a lot, and we really wanted it to be in the you know in the pocket. We wanted it to be how good we think it is, and that takes a lot of work. Definitely like we rehearsed does. two weeks every single day, four hours, and. Even some days it was like, you know, oh, God, I don't want to do this. and But we'd still do it, you know. And it's great. Practice makes perfect. It's such a cliche. But you don't it's want so it to true. be too polished. But you want it to be muscle memory so you can actually experiment once you get there. Exactly, That's yeah. what I always find, yeah. Yeah, and because we just use one guitar as well, like every single song's never the same. Like, I mean, that's the thing that pissed me off at the end of Girling, like everything was on a click track, you know. But with this, you and I play the guitar, so we can really change the nuances or the sound, you know, if everyone's talking. What we do, we play even quieter, like so then yeah. everyone has to shut up. Um, that's an old thing that I learned from Bert Yance, this folk guy. He's like, you know, if everyone's talking, just play really quietly. Fuck them. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so, and just, or, you know, bringing things up at different times or just to- stopping the guitar and just having, like, a cappella stuff happening. Um, so, yeah, just working on the nuances and trying to make every single second, you know, cool. And That's such good advice because mm. I've seen so many people play, you know, acoustic shows and even even band shows that are, that are sort of acoustically sensitive and people have been talking over them. And your instant reaction is to confront the person or to make a scene or to, you know, say something. But I think to go the opposite direction is so much more powerful when that person realises they're talking loudly. You know, they'd, they'd be way more mortified if you were trying to do something beautiful and acapella than if you were standing next to them strumming really loudly. Yeah, oh, don't get me wrong, sometimes I'll be like, you know, Mr Bean, fucking put a sock in it, what are you even here for? Like, <laughs> I still wouldn't ever like, you know what I mean? I wouldn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wouldn't ever say I would never do that. Um, but, it, yeah, it's it's that's the only problem with doing the music that we do is the audience. Because yeah. if people just shut up and listen, we, we're trying to give them something. I know that sounds whatever, but... Just no, to get lost true. in in why you actually yeah. go to see music and yeah, so that's what we want to present that experience. I know it's nothing completely, uh, it's nothing uh, groundbreaking, but you know we want to. No, uh, I think that's important. Yeah, we've got something to offer. I think so. Um, do you think your voice has changed over the years? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, definitely the girling was just shouty, kind of. Um, didn't really care, really. Yeah. Um, but you still had a really great sort of timbre back then. Ooh, and I, really? From my... I know that's a terrible word. No, it? no, no. You're completely <laughs> incorrect. It, fuck. <laughs> I remember I showed my grandfather, God bless him, he's, long gone but he's i've shown him one of our songs and he's like oh what is that cacophony of sound (laughs) (laughs) 
I was like, yeah, fuck, he's right. Um, no, it was... No, but you had songs like, you know, like In the City and stuff that that mm. were like, you were still a really good singer back then. But I think now, in my opinion, it's like next level. I was listening to your um, solo album, your Darren Cross one. Oh, yeah. Um, what's it called? Zantastic. Zantastic, yeah. And... I have to say, I think it's one of the most underrated albums. I fucking love it. I think it it sort of pushes all my buttons in a weird way. Like it has it's like beautiful acoustic guitar, great melodies. Your voice sounds awesome. And then it has like really cool synths. There's like there's nothing more I want in an album. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Thanks. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, not many people heard that in Australia. I mean, I, I toured France in... Uh, January and February this year just by myself with a guitar and a little sampler and it was yeah. cool yeah people in France were digging it went to Netherlands and great Belgium and yeah um, but a lot of those songs too I play just with the guitar as well like folk versions um, yeah lots of finger picking and stuff like that so there's a song I can't remember the name of it but it starts with that sort of don't bring me down ELO drum beat Oh uh, yeah, Highway Lights in the Night. That's um yeah, that's, that's Dave Moody song. playing the drums on ah, that from Courtney Barnett's great. band, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah, I have known him since the nineties and he's like, Man, I wanna play his drums on your new songs. I'm like, Oh no, I don't no, fuck, I don't wanna do that. <laughs> he's like, then wrote me an email, come on man. I was like, Okay, whatever. But yeah, so that's uh, That's awesome. How do you go collaborating with people? Yeah, I do it all the time, I guess with Jep and Dare. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'm easy come, easy go, whatever, just songwriter. <laughs> if it's happening, it's happening. Do you ever have people ask you if they want to collaborate? Um, yeah, I'm just really busy. I just really don't have time. I mean, I do my solo stuff. I've got my new album ready to record. Um, Your Darren Cross album? Darren Cross new one, yeah. Great. And then yeah, just, we just put out the Jep and Depp album last week. Uh, on August the 9th. Uh, well, I don't know when you're going to play this, but it was August the 9th. Um, and I run the label as well. So, um, yeah, I've, I've been writing songs for other people as well, which I won't say who they are, but, um, yeah, maybe they'll come out of the woodwork as well. Who knows? Awesome. So when you write songs for other people, do they approach you or do you approach them? Um, oh, it's all ways different. Maybe their yeah. friend will say, oh, they're looking for a song or or someone will say, hey, I, like I wrote a song with Jaguar Mar on his first album yeah. and he's like, yeah, man, come into the studio and we just did that in a day, not even a day, in a couple of hours. And then a year later he's like, hey, man, do you mind if this it's on the album? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And then he just blew up, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, stuff like that. I'm pretty easy. If I know where or what their vibe is, I, I can yeah. really give something in the style that they would like. Tell me about home recording. Do you record most of your stuff at home? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I'd probably, I'd say it's a bit more home recording kind of gives it this, you know, you use two microphones you found in the trash can and you, you know, <laughs> gaff tape them to a cardboard house that you bought in Kmart. It's not like that. I think <laughs> I kind of got some good mics i'm you know sponsored by road mics so i've got some oh really yeah really good gear That's awesome. um but yeah i the last album the jep and depp album it was oh it was it was a nightmare the um 
the album kind of de- deals with you know gentrification and how that kind of pisses us off and all that um but yeah. the house next door totally got uh, demolished and then rebuilt and that took a year uh. and my studio was at our house so oh, no. mm, and also the because the, we were living in newtown the Aeroplanes and and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So we d- we did the Japanese album from midnight because the trains stopped. I mean the planes um, till five a.m. Because then I would just kind of fall asleep and I'd kind of do Zantastic like that as well. So it'd be like twelve a.m. to five a.m. Oh man! And then seven o'clock the workers would be <laughs> jackhammers and I'd be like having Ugh. two hours sleep. Yeah, it was pretty gross. So yeah, it, but I mean doing it from home. I remember like once Jess just got out of bed and come up and did a vocal take, I think, in one, uh, the Jeb and Depp song, Cruel Moon. And yeah. then I edited it. And you kind of get in this headspace, you know, you, it's so early. And then I got up the next day and I was like, yeah, right. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> and I, I even did that on, there's a song on my solo album called New Angel. And that was like a folk song and then I, I woke up and I would literally had fallen asleep with my head on the keyboard of the computer Aww. keyboard. And then I'd done all this weird, crazy synth stuff and I was like, fuck, I don't even remember doing that. So <laughs> getting into changing my whole life habits as well, like because I took time off everything, quit my jobs just so I could be focused on the two albums and, yeah. um, you know, like when you're awake, those hours are, changes you you know yeah um, sure. changes the whole patterns and so um yeah but it was cool it was just wonderful to be able to be in you know I'd have all the lyrics like kind of nailed to the roof and you know stuff <laughs> everywhere and you know it's like yeah. a um, it's like a psychopath house. Al- almost like, like a psychopath yeah <laughs> I thought you're gonna be nicer than that but um <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I've already been super nice to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you, did you record your last album at home as well? Yeah, yeah. When we did the the first Chip and Depp album, um, we recorded that all in one and a half hours and then live, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, live with the guitar and the two vocals and then I produced it for five months. Oh, wow. Mm. So, so you just did heaps of like cutting, overdubbing. Yeah, and trying to make it sound good. yeah. It's not, a struggle, isn't no, it? not more cutting and overdubbing, more um, arrangements. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, because it was live, so we couldn't, I couldn't really cut or paste anything. Yeah, right. Really. Because it's like 60s, there's the guitar, there's two vocals, that's it, you know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it was more just mixing it, and I probably wouldn't do that again. Um. But we just went into the studio for the first time. We were just, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll do one song, Jess, because I'm such a tight ass, and then. Oh, let's try that other song. Let's try the other song. Then we did ten songs and she's like, oh, yeah, right. She'd never been in the studio before. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fuck, there's 150. Woohoo, we've done it. <laughs> yeah, you know. That's exciting. Yeah. But there's some big moments on that first album, like Phil Spector stuff. I, I would mix a song 50 times. Oh, wow. Yeah, fuck, it drove me nuts. But with yeah, I was going to say, did you go crazy? Mm-hmm. How do you know who to write for? Like if you're writing a song, do you always know that it's going to be Jep and Depp or do you know it's going to be Darren Cross? Yeah, it's funny. We both know. Um, like Jess is 
uh, almost finished her album as well, her solo album, and it's really beautiful. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's just under her name, or has she got a? Yeah, she hasn't name? even worked that out. She just plays music. I'm kind of pushing her. I'm like, we need to record that. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, no, nah, this is you know, this is ready. Oh, yeah, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so she's yeah, more you know, just. Um, but yeah, we can just kind of tell. Uh, my new stuff's completely different to Jep and Depp, but it's still kind of folk music. But I'm experimenting with all these weird kind of tunings and kind of sounds almost cool. like sitars, but oh wow, pop. Yeah, it's weird. Um, Do you have more synths on your new album? Mm-mm, no. No synths. No, not on what we're doing now. But um, at the moment, we're just really just playing the guitars and just working stuff out because um, yeah. that's what we do, you know, you know, Jess sits in one room, I sit in the other room or we both sit in the room and play music. But, yeah, who knows? I mean, Jess's voice, you could kind of do anything with it, to be honest. You could do, like, trip-hop, but I don't want to do something that's already <laughs> been done before, you know. Do you reckon she would do trip-hop? Um, well, she loves, you know, all that stuff, Portishead and Massive Attack and... Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Pretty dated, isn't it? And I don't want to start doing trap or <laughs> fucking dubstep. It's just I'd love to, I'd love to hear you guys do some trap. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. There's some French guys like I I listen to trap. It's uh, don't really like music. I'm like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> trap. He's like, yeah, it's yeah, like, it's a trap. It means like the hip hop say the music industry is a trap and it's, do we do trap music and <laughs> that Atlanta. Yeah, that's a, based out of Atlanta. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, oh. man. Nah, it doesn't really fit into what I'm doing right now. Here's this song I wrote about dying. Yeah. <laughs> ah, no, no, I don't like to express through music. Anyway, fruitless. And it wasn't even in France. It was a French guy in Sydney, so... Uh, All the people I met in France were a lot nicer than him. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, tell me about your... You've been to Berlin a few times and you, you say that you were pretty inspired by the scene there. Tell me a bit about your relationship with Berlin. Well, now it's... I went there in... Again, I went there in January or February and... um. All my friends were totally strung out, all my German friends, just, like, partying all the time and, you know, one of them's, like, 56 and he's just totally fucked, like, they don't sleep and it's winter and they're all complaining and that. But it's totally changed, like, I mean, Berlin is... Because I first went there in the early 2000s. I mean, there's all this, always the 80s and the 90s romanticism of, you know, Enzatroy Neubauten and Blixer Bargeld, who I adore. Yeah. And, you know, Nick Cave and Mick Harvey and, you know, all those dudes who went there and it was cool and they were doing cool music. Um, and when I first was going there, it kind of had, like, it was just finished the 90s, just finished and... You know, it wasn't that long before, you know, the wall had just come down in 89, was it? 80? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, fuck, it Hasselhoff. wasn't. Hasselhoff. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. <laughs> God, that was, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking with him. But <laughs> so I would, I'd go to all these. And when I first went to Berlin, it was still raw. You know, Kreuzberg wasn't like a Red Bull can. and It's kind of turning like that. Um, yeah. And, I mean, you have to move out more, you know, like Vetting or Pankow or... Um, all that and one of our songs on the Jep and Dep album, My Berlin's about that 
Because like Berlin yeah. was always the place we were going to move if Sydney got unbearable, which it is. Um, but now, do you it's, think you'll move? Well, when I was there, it was kind of like mm, the gentrification's happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just love Europe to be honest. Um, yeah, but Berlin was, and it was, it's still quite cheap over there. You know. Yeah, definitely um, cheaper. Like fuck, it's so cheap, but. Um, Maybe because now it's kind of not cool anymore, I'll go back. But it was kind of a bit <laughs> too cool for me. I'm not really like, you know, it was a bit like like a backpackers or something like that. Yeah. But I've got heaps of German <laughs> friends who are definitely not like that. I think I'm friends yeah. with the only Germans left in, in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> I to, know. To be honest. It's strange, isn't it? It's mm. like you, you absolutely do not need to know German to live there. Yeah, and, you know, hanging out with 21-year-old Australians trying to find themselves and be artists sure. isn't my vibe, to be honest. <laughs> no, nor no. is it mine. <laughs> I would like to go there and, um, you know, hang out with German people and <laughs> yeah, old-fashioned, huh? Um yeah. But Maybe you need yeah. to go to somewhere that's not Berlin. Go well, to somewhere else, like Hamburg or something. Yeah, maybe Hamburg. Like, but we went around, um, and like even we spent some time in Heidelberg um, at my friend oh, Carl's yeah. house in the in the hills. You know, right Lovely. near right near the bunker. But it was fucking. It was a beautiful place um, in the hills. You know, and everyone was off their heads. You know, swimming. Yeah. It was in the summer, and it was just absolutely beautiful. Um, but the thing that shocks me the most about Germany is how expensive everything is. It doesn't make sense. Like Berlin is so cheap. Um, and then you go to like Frankfurt or Heidelberg or, you know, Darmstadt and it's like everything's triple the price. Except alcohol. Yeah. Oh, really? Alcohols are really cheap. Oh shit. Yeah. I wasn't drinking last time. Yeah. How do you go with, um, substances and, and writing, while you're on whatever do you find it changes your creative path a bit yeah definitely I mean I was um don't really write I'd probably do it sober but I've just finished I was sober for five and a half years yeah um and I just started drinking again not not like crazy but just socially um like a like two months ago and I've found that, you know, just having a hangover is so debilitating. It's yeah. it, it robs a whole day of creativity where I took that for granted before. Um, yeah. So now definitely. I'm just catching up with some old friends a lot and having a few drinks, but I think I'm going <laughs> to phase that out again. Because it's just as from a creative point of view, to be honest, say, I think um, being sober is much better. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Like I said, there's no rule book. I'm an anarchist, whatever. <laughs> if if I'm going to take mushrooms and write trap music, I'll do that. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be good, but I, yeah, there's no rules. But I find at the moment at this stage where I am, like being sober is much more for clarity and yeah. um, and also for a development as well because you're always developing. And yeah. I think you re- retain more of the development of things that you do. For when, sure. When you're sober. Yeah. But, but I mean. Well, especially when you're learning stuff like finger picking and stuff, it's, you know, it's probably better to be sober when you're trying to learn something like that. Oh, yeah. Like it's hours of repetition. and Yeah. But I mean, you know, you just, whatever. Everyone's different. You know, look at Bukowski, oh, you for know, sure. whatever. Yeah. And I know artists who are really reliant on, on different substances. And I, I don't know, for me, that's a bit of a cop out. I don't really need it. 
Um, but like I said, adding key, whatever. <laughs> no rules. <laughs> whatever works. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like you've always, like I said before, I've known you a really long time and I feel like you're definitely in and out of stuff, like you're in and out of substances um, and probably pretty extreme. Is that is that accurate? Is that why you decided to have five years off? No, not really. I guess maybe when we hung out, we might have been showing off a bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there is the joke that, you know, Burke was in Girling for 14 years and he never slept in Brisbane. <laughs> really? And we must have toured there. I remember that joke. Yeah, yeah. I say it all the time. We must have toured there, you know, 200 times. <laughs> so... I actually, do you remember when Girling and Sekiden played in Byron Bay and my brother Mirko decided to have a, a drinking competition with all of Girling? Mirko is three times bigger than me and he could probably yeah. drink 95 times more. <laughs> so, yeah, God, what happened? I, re- I think Burke won. Mm-hmm. He just was like super piss fit at the time. And... um. And you and I were sober because I had the flu or something and, and you were not drinking and everyone else was just fucking smashed. But I remember um, the next day we had to like pull over our van because Mirko was vomiting. Oh, yeah, I remember that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were all like, yeah, fuck you, Mirko. <laughs> yeah, I remember And you all that. threw lollies at him and we were like, fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was cool. <laughs> Far out. The good old days, so innocent. Oh, I know. Hey, um, I, I'm i in a little um like chat group with Spod and Conrad <laughs> from Richard In Your Mind. Oh, he's a very attractive um, man. Yeah, they're, they're both very attractive. Yeah, Conrad's more my cup of tea. Oh, that's nice. Mm. Um, I love them both dearly and we we just sort of chat mainly about Beck and Ween and I told them today that I was... um. I was going to interview you tonight. And Conrad said, oh, you should ask him about Beck because he's a Beck guy. I thought you said a trap group, like you and Spotted started, but you said a chat group. Chat. Yeah, yeah, I chat. I thought you said... Not tra- trap. Tra- I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. Spotted's doing <laughs> trap music now. <laughs> what do you call it? Garage. All right, no. yeah. Um, yeah, so Conrad said you're into Beck and old school Beck because the three of us are kind of... We mostly talk about Beck and Ween from like the 1990s, early 90s. Yep. Um, are you a, like a full-on Beck fan from back then as well? I still am a Beck fan, everything that he does. Really? Love it. Yeah, people don't like what he's doing now. I love it. I think he's fantastic. I think he's going to be like the David Bowie. I think he's oh. going to keep getting better and... And then go to to different people who are going to like him. Um, well, he's yeah. definitely doing that. I think he's definitely growing an audience by doing a lot of different stuff. It's hit and miss. Like a lot of it's hit and miss. But um, like that one, um, the real sad album. Um, sea Change. Nah, the more recent one. Uh, not the, I think it was a morning sec- morning phase. Phenomenal. I I just it was yeah to me. Um. Yeah, I love him. I think he's fantastic. Um, I think he's fantastic, but I feel like, but I feel like I'm a super old school fan that is a bit disillusioned with what he's doing now. 
Yeah, sure. Like Mellow Gold is an absolute masterpiece. Um, yeah. Uh, trust me, say I absolutely love every single note on that, and it was very formative, and it changed my whole psyche. I go me as too. far as to say that. Um, but yeah. I mean, he's awesome. I mean, with Ween as well. I know Brent Spod was actually at the same gig um, and it was in when Ween supported Frente and they played <laughs> near where I grew up because um, Brent kind of lived out near there as well. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, yeah, and Ween played and they were doing the Pure Guava tour and oh, it was them. Magic. Yeah, them with a karaoke machine guitar and bass and are fucking yeah. off their heads and pressing the wrong songs and <laughs> like I was standing there and like there would have been you know 30 people in the crowd and I was kind of like yeah right you can kind of do whatever you want this yeah. is it you don't you don't have to just be in a band or and it was like yeah it was total the punk vibe and it yeah and I mean with girling I was like yeah fuck it let's just do whatever and I think seeing Ween supporting Frente in Parramatta in the early 90s <laughs> had a big effect on 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 everything, um, yeah. And Wiener cool as well. Like I mean, they didn't, or in a way, a different trajectory, but kind of like got a bit more serious. And then the little guy cracked the shits and left. But um, <laughs> yeah, he Mikey, had, he had some troubles. Mm. No, Mickey was fine. Mickey, it Mickey, was yeah. Gene. Gene had a meltdown. Yeah, the little guy. I always get their, their yeah. names mixed, muddled up. Um, yeah, Aaron. Yeah, that's right, Aaron Friedman. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, both. I love both of those acts. I know heaps about them and seen them yeah. in many different times that they've come to Australia and stuff. I mean, I even met Beck. Um, how, how did that go? Yeah, that was when Girling played on that Somersault tour. Was oh, yeah. Sonic Youth. But you Beck, guys didn't play... You didn't play the Brisbane, the Queensland one. No, just the Sydney one. Yeah. Yeah, because that was the first time I saw Beck play as well, and it just destroyed everything. Like, in a good way, it just blew my mind in a million pieces, and I was like, "This is the best thing that's ever happened to me." Did he do the harmonica thing as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like one foot in the grave, you mean? Yeah, but he also did this yeah. thing in Sydney where um, Dave Grohl come and beat beatboxed and he did all this like um appalachian and um you know real delta blues stuff and he could really play yeah. it and yeah it's just like what like i hadn't even heard delta blues harmonica before really to be honest i was that young and it yeah. was just the first time i was like wow what is this beck what are you doing and you know yeah. <laughs> start like like scratching really you know and doing, it was just like whoa man yeah whatever you're awesome like yeah um yeah, really, in such inspirational, like, and I guess the Beastie Boys were doing it, but Beck was kind of, I, did, I didn't know, like, I always thought the early Beck, he was kind of biting Ween a bit, their comedy. Yeah. I thought that, because yeah, Ween I were think, there first. Well, I think it all came up at the same time, and Beck was doing something a bit, like, he was going, you know, he had, like, a leaf blower on stage and was doing all this crazy shit, and, and was just him and acoustic guitar, so... It was a little – I think it developed differently to what Ween were doing back in, in that time where they, they were playing like electric guitar and and were doing that karaoke thing. And um, uh, Yeah, if we really want to go back to the godfathers of that as a butthole surfers, that's who everyone was oh, trying to sure. be. Oh, for sure, yeah. Even Wayne Coyne on that Flaming Lips thing, you know. Yeah, for sure. Because, um, yeah, they were doing all that before in, in more unsafe manner. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. With a leaf blower and then Gibby Haynes is yeah. on fire. It's a bit fucking different, but... So less respect <laughs> the butthole surfers right now because I think they started all that. Yeah, that's true. Witching. That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love them. And probably Frank uh, Zappa before that, maybe. <laughs> yeah, probably Frank Zappa, yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk to you about Beck. Oh, yeah, so what was it like meeting Beck? Kind of a bit, bit of a fizzer. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, but... Why, what happened? Do you remember what happened? Oh, I had to ask him these questions and he was just like, oh, yeah, didn't really care. Had a glass of water and ate a mango and then left. I was like, oh, right, <laughs> all right, that's pretty weird. <laughs> where's Thurston Moore? <laughs> yeah, where's Mike D? <laughs> yeah, Adrock, Adrock. He's the cool one. Yeah, Adrock was more the Conrad. He was more my cup of tea. <laughs> Not Mike D. He was like, yeah, whatever, Mike D. Where's Adrock? He's hot. <laughs> I was always a Mike D guy. That's such a boy thing to say, Saya So Darren, can you please tell me your worst or strangest show experience Um, Or just the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician Yeah, I will Um, This is, it's kind of, yeah Makes me freak out just thinking about it Okay, it's a good story, it's a good story um, But it's quite intense so, um, Girling did a national tour with your mates, Regurgitator. Yes. Um, it was a very big tour and we went to many places. I remember. Um, yeah. And we played in Broome um, and we were kind of staying at this resort. There wasn't anyone there. You know, it was so cliche. There was like big geckos near the pool. You know, Broome's on the other side of like Western Australia. Yeah. Um, and... There was kind of, with the tour, there was kind of like this, um, I don't know who enforced it, but there was kind of this don't take drugs kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they have kind of been a bit professional. So, um, <laughs> yeah, whatever. That's so like them. <laughs> um, so anyway, so we play at Broome. Every show was amazing with those guys. Like they, they were so huge and it, it was just so much fun. I really did love Regurgitator at the time and it was really cool. Um Oh, not that I don't love them anymore. Um, I know what you mean. But, yeah, at the time especially it was kind of all happening. And so yeah. we played this cool show and, you know, of course, me and Burke befriended the local guy, like this um, young Indigenous guy. And he's like, come to the, you know, come to the, um, come to this Irish pub, whatever, you know. A couple of hours later we're all like tripping balls in this fucking middle of nowhere, this Irish pub. And then... <laughs> um. Then the guy, I forget what his name is, he, he runs in, he's like, everybody, everybody, we've got to go, we've got to go, jump in the car, jump in the car. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck's happening? Like, totally tripping balls, like, freaking out. He's like, the world's going to end. And I'm like, all right, cool, I'm going to go with this. So we all get in the car, like this old shitty Kingswood. We're, like, going through the red sands, you know. It was, like, in the desert, brooms, like, on the beach in the desert. And then we get back to this hotel that we're staying at and... um for people who don't know Regurgitator's manager, Paul Curtis, he's one of the most intense, crazy, eccentric dudes that you ever met. I, we didn't even know what the fuck's going on. We, this indigenous guy's gone, the world's going to end. And we're like, oh, yeah, fuck, whatever, tripping balls, whatever. Run through into the room where Regurgitator's saying they got the TV on and Paul Curtis is just going, ah, 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 jumping on the bed and Quan's going, ah. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? And Curtis goes, look at that. And he pointed out the TV and World Trade Center had just got hit <gasps> by an aeroplane. And I was oh like, Oh my God. Fucking hell, what the hell? And everyone's just going, ah! 
And Curtis is going, we're all going to die. This is it. This oh is it. And like, everyone's like running around frantically like I'd never been that high in my whole life. <laughs> and Shit. it was just like, okay, fuck. And the weird thing was that was on the Thursday, but on the next Tuesday, Girling's album When Young Terrors Chase the Sun was going to come out. <laughs> That's right. And I was just saying, we're going to be folk heroes. We're going to be folk heroes. <laughs> we're visions. We're prophets. And like, no, nah, everyone's like, too hard basket. Plus the album had already come out in Japan three months later and sold like fucking 35,000 copies or something. Right, right. So, yeah, that's yeah, my... That I, is yeah, insane. Yeah. That's such a great... And such insane timing. Especially, you know, Paul Curtis too. I mean, like, yeah. can you imagine oh. him on top of that? <laughs> Yeah, 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 it was so good. And then um, we went to Broome and then the next day we flew to Darwin and Darwin's a big, like, air and Navy base. Yeah. So I was on high alert, you know, they thought there was going to be a war. Jesus. Yeah, super cool. Anyway. but That is a crazy story. Yeah, there's heaps of other stories. But I I thought of that one today and I thought, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, that's, you know, and I think I love that the involvement of Paul Curtis in that story because he's – he is quite an eccentric dude and you I reckon probably the person you'd least want to be around if you're high. <laughs> no, but the thing is, say, like everyone was just going nuts. So Yeah. He just, he was thought, just an extra facet. But he was kinda high as well. Like we were all oh, yeah. we, there was this high on panic. Yeah, the hysteria, this yeah. this just complete and utter um what would you say like a I don't know, exclusion of any kind of barrier. It was like... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and ha- having Ben and Quan, you know, like Ben just there eating pistachios yeah. and everyone's kind of freaking out and uh, <laughs> Burke was there. <laughs> I don't know. Press was probably asleep. So, yeah, that was... It was a really total heightened experience. Oh, Darren, it was so lovely to have you on my podcast. Thank you so much for for taking the time. Oh, no worries. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of your podcast. I've oh, listened to a few. Me. My favourite have been uh, Sarah Blasco and oh. Darren Hanlon so far. Yeah, they're gems. Well, yeah, thanks so much and I'll talk to you soon. Can't wait to see you playing Briz. Yeah, yeah, hopefully we can get there real soon. I mean, we'd love to play with Shifting Sands or something. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that is one of the most perfect matches. If you could play with Shifting Sands, that would be such a great bill. Yeah, the Bearded Lady or something like that. Bearded Lady or Junk Bar would be perfect. Yeah, Junk Bar. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. See you, mate. Cool. See ya. Bye.